I encourage you to open your Bibles to Psalm 107. Psalm 107. And Psalm 107 begins with the words, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His loving kindness is everlasting. As we have just heard, give thanks. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, the text says. Notice that this psalm mentions His loving kindness is everlasting. Look at the last verse of the psalm. Psalm 107, verse 43. Who is wise, let him give heed to these things and consider the loving kindnesses of the Lord. Loving kindness is mentioned in verse 1. It's mentioned in verse 43. It will be mentioned four times throughout the psalms. This is a key element in this particular psalm. God's kesed, God's loving kindness, His compassion and His mercy, His grace, His long-suffering, His compassion. All of these terms rolled up into one. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His loving kindness is everlasting. This is a phrase that is repeated frequently in the Psalms. Look at Psalm 106, verse 1. Psalm 106, verse 1, Praise the Lord, O give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His loving kindness is everlasting. The phrase, praise the Lord, and give thanks to the Lord, are used interchangeably. What does it mean to praise God? One of the ways we praise God is to give thanks to God. When you enumerate your blessings and recognize Him as the source of every good gift, you are praising Him. Praise the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord for He is good. It is also a key phrase, not only in 106 verse 1, but in 118 verse 1. Give thanks to the Lord for He is good, for His loving kindness is everlasting. And all these verses that are on the slide here either use this phrase or slightly deviate from it. It is not just a phrase used frequently in the Psalms, but it is a phrase used frequently throughout the Bible. This is a common song. In 1 Chronicles chapter 16 verse 34, this was when David was moving the ark to Jerusalem and they sing this song. Give thanks to the Lord for He is good, for His loving kindness is everlasting. That's around 1000 B.C. Or shortly thereafter. Then in Second Chronicles chapter 5 verse 13, when they completed the temple, they sang this same song. Give thanks to the Lord. He is good. His loving kindness is everlasting. Jeremiah 33 verse 11 prophesies of the return from Babylonian captivity. And when they come back from captivity, this land that is full of sorrow and heartache will be filled with joy. And they will sing this song. And it gives the word. Words, give thanks to the Lord. And then in second, uh, then in Ezra 3.11, this song was sang when the foundation of the temple was laid in Ezra chapter 3. Now, if you're looking at that, 
David, about 1,000 B.C., the laying the foundation of the temple around 535 B.C. And they sang this song 500 years, and that's just what we can see in these passages. Now, I don't know. When Israel, when Israel had their R.J. Stevens song book, and they announced the number for this song. I, I don't know what the number was, but when they announced that number, everybody instantly says, I know that song. Just like you know some songs. Everybody knew that song. Because this was one of the most common songs in all the land. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His loving kindness is everlasting. I love Psalm 107. It is a great psalm. There are basically four circumstances described in verses 4 through 32. Four circumstances described. But I want you to notice the structure of each of these four sections. We're going to focus on these four sections in just a moment. And what they thank God for. But first of all, let's just look at the structure. The first part of each of these four paragraphs will begin with a description of a crisis the people face. In verses 4 and 5. They wandered in the wilderness, in a desert region. They did not find a way to an inhabited city. They were hungry and thirsty, and their soul fainted within them. That's a description of a crisis. You'll find the same in verses 10 through 12, in verses 17 and 18, and in verses 23 through 27. A description of a crisis. In the midst of their crisis... They finally recognized where could we go except to the Lord. And in verse 6, in verse 7, or excuse me, verse 6, verse 13, verse 20, uh, uh, 19, and then in verse 28, you find almost the exact same words in each section. After they realized their crisis, they realized their problem, it says they cried out to the Lord in their trouble and He delivered them out of their distresses. In the midst of their crisis, whatever it is, in the midst of their problems, they understand they have to look to the Lord for help. And they cry out to the Lord. They cry out to the Lord. And each time the Lord gives the deliverance to the problem. In verse 6, they cried out to their Lord in, in their trouble. He delivered them out of their distresses and led them out by a straight way to an, uh, to an inhabited city. The Lord answers their problem and therefore the people are called on to give Him thanks. Again, these verses, 8, 15, 21, and 31 are almost identical in every text, if not identical. Let them give thanks to the Lord for His loving kindness and His wonders and His wonders to the sons of men. Now, when we cry out to God in the midst of a problem... And the problem is over. What do we do? We give thanks. We give thanks to the Lord. 
And then each of these ends with a final statement, praise to God or thanksgiving to God. Praise to God that satisfies the the thirsty soul, the hungry soul he's filled with what's good in verse 9. Or in verse 22, a call, let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his works with joyful singing. Now that's a structure. And that's going to help you in appreciating this psalm, in understanding What's going on? To see that constant repetition. But what are the specific points of crisis from which he asks deliverance and receives deliverance? And what does that tell us of how we should give thanks to the Lord? For he is good. We've already read most of verses 4 through 9. We talked about the circumstances where they wandered in a desert region and they didn't find an inhabited city and their supplies were running low and they were hungry and they were thirsty, didn't have enough to eat, didn't have enough to drink and there was no people around. They they cry out to the Lord and the Lord guides them to an inhabited city and when the Lord satisfies their need, they give thanks to God. They give thanks. In this situation, they are described as being lost. They are described as being thirsty. They are described as being hungry. And in these circumstances, as they're lost and hungry and thirsty and don't have the resources to meet their needs, then they are crying out to God in the midst of their troubles. Now, I'm not trying, I'm not trying this to brag, but I probably have more natural ability to get lost than anyone you know. One afternoon years ago, I had the equipment and we were going to a voice baseball game and it was in the county where I was raised. At a ball field that I had passed thousands of times in my life. And suddenly, I draw a complete blank as to how to get there. So I have known the feeling of wandering around in a car lost with the gas gauge becoming dangerously low. And not knowing where I'm going or what direction that I'm heading. And the fact I stand before you safe after all those experiences is a testimony to the mercy of the Lord. And and I mean that, that part seriously. But I know what it feels like to be lost and to think can't find your way. And to cry for help, and suddenly some kind of person you encounter at a gas station who can give good direction, or some type of experience you have, maybe calling just the right person to guide you on the phone, but they lead you safely there. Give thanks to the Lord for all those circumstances. 
I imagine every one here has had plenty to eat today and plenty to drink. That you don't know hunger and thirst like some do around our world. That is a reason to give thanks to the Lord. I remember something that Rich Gant told me a few years ago about Sierra Leone. I don't know if I've mentioned this here before. But he stated if two people meet on the street who did not know one another previously, they will identify themselves on the basis of which meal they decide to eat. Let us give thanks to the Lord for His loving kindness and for His wonders to the sons of men. In the next scenario, the Bible says in verse 10, there were those who dwelt in darkness and in the shadow of death. Now that word shadow of death is the same word of Psalm 23, 4. In the valley of the shadow of death. They dwelt in darkness and the shadow of death. Same kind of language as Isaiah 9, 1 and 2 that we talked about this morning. Prisoners in misery and chains because they had rebelled against the words of God and they had spurned the counsel of the Most High. Therefore, he humbled their heart with labor and they stumbled and there was none to help. This is his crisis. This is his circumstance. These people are in darkness and in the shadow of death. They are in prison. They're prisoners. They are in misery. They are in chains. And notice verse 11 introduces an element which was not true in the description in verses 4 through 9. There is nothing in verses 4 through 9 that tells us these people were hungry or thirsty or lost because they had done something wrong. But in this section, these men are in prison and chains because they rebelled against the word of the Lord and spurred the counsel of the Most High. They had not listened to God and they had gotten themselves in this desperate problem because of this. But even though it was the result of their sin and their foolishness that they got into this problem, they cried out to the Lord. They Verse 13, they cried out to the Lord in their trouble and He saved them out of their distresses. Even though they got into the problem of their own making, He was gracious to them. And in verse 14, He brought them out of the darkness and the shadow of death and broke their bands apart. Let them give thanks to the Lord for His loving kindness and for His wonders to the sons of men. For He has shattered gates of bronze and cut bars of iron asunder. Now in some ways, this description is similar to the next. 
Because the next description describes people who are sick and near the point of death. And again, the text specifies it is because of their rebellious ways. You get verse 17. Fools, because of their rebellious ways, because of their iniquities were afflicted. Their soul abhorred all kinds of food. And they drew near to the gates of death. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. He saved them out of their distresses. He sent His word and healed them. He delivered them from their destruction. Let them give thanks to the Lord for His loving kindness and for His wonders to the sons of men. Let them also offer sacrifices and thanksgiving and tell of His works with joyful singing. Now, I want you to notice something about verses 17 and 18. There is a connection, a clear connection in this context between this sickness these people had suffered and their sin. Is that always the case? Is that the case every time? Book of Job shows that's not the case every time. When Jesus was asked... Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus said, neither. But that the work of God might be manifest in John 9, in verses 1 and 2. That connection between sin and suffering is not there every time. We can't look at a suffering person and say automatically, we know it's because of your sin. We can't make that mistake that Job's friends made, but we can't go to the other extreme either. And say there is never sickness that is related to our sin. Because you see that in Scripture. Let none of you suffer as a murderer, as an evildoer, or as a busybody. Another man's back. But if any man suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. But rather let him glorify God in this name. 1 Peter 4, verses 15 and 16. And you find cases of people smitten with illnesses because of their sin. Now, I'm not trying to deal extensively with that tonight and to give you a list of ways in which you can tell one is not because of sin and one is. And first of all, that list isn't given in Scripture. But obviously in this case... It says it as plainly as it can in verse 17 that was because of his rebellious ways and because of his iniquities that he was afflicted. And he is near the gates of death, a poetic way of speaking of death. Jesus used it when he talks about the gates of Hades in Matthew 16, 18. And they can't even stand to eat anymore. They cried out to the Lord in their trouble. And he saved them out of their distresses. This goes back about 20 years. I noticed one Sunday night we got back from church. We had received four or five calls from the same area, many hours away, and all of them saying, call back. And we 
we realize that something had happened in that area with someone we knew. And there was a young lady there, a few years younger than we were, uh, just in her early 30s, whose liver had quit functioning and she was given something like 24 to 36 hours to live unless she got a liver transplant. And they thought they had one. But it wasn't a perfect match. The 24, 36 hours passed. Remarkably, inexplainably, she got better. She, she not just got a little better. <laughs> but in a matter of moments, a, a matter of a couple of days, made a full recovery. Another friend was there in the room. When the main doctor walked in and she said, I want to thank you for all you've done. And her response, the doctor's response to her was, I didn't do anything. And he said, lady, someone was praying for you. Now, I didn't go into detail about everything in that story. But she had done some things that she brought that to some degree on herself by wrong she done. And yet even when she was in that desperate condition, she cried to God and God was gracious. And God delivered them. Let them give thanks to the Lord for His loving kindness and for His wonders to sons of men. I, I want to tell you all this. It, it, this is probably true with most of us. I, I've never had a near-death experience. I, I've never been on my sick bed when the family was gathered in and they said, this is it. I haven't had it. Some of you probably have. Most of us haven't. I haven't. A matter of fact, I have been blessed remarkably with health my whole life, which is something that owes little, if anything, to me and everything to God. That is a reason to give thanks. And I've never been in prison. Now, if you have, the Lord still loves you. And the Lord wants to save you. But I've never been exactly in either of these circumstances. But I'll tell you what I have done. I've sometimes done things that were foolish and ridiculous and brought trouble on myself and got myself involved in a situation that was impossible for me to get out of. I may not have been in prison, but I've done those things. 
And how many times have you been in that situation? And how many times has the Lord delivered you? Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. For His loving kindness is everlasting. Give thanks to the Lord for His loving kindness and His wonders to the sons of men. Verses 23 through 27 describe another scenario. Those who go down to the sea in ships, who do their business on great waters, they have seen the works of the Lord and His wonders in the deep. For He spoke and raised up a stormy wind which lifted up the waves of the sea. They rose up to the heavens. They went down to the depths. Their soul melted away in their misery. They reeled and staggered like drunken men. And they were at wit's end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble. And He brought them out of their distresses. And He caused the storm to be still. So the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad because they were quiet. So he guided them to their desired haven. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness. For his wonders to the sons of men. Let them extol also in the congregation of the people. And praise him at the seat of the elders. Those who go down to sea, who do their business on great waters, and the Lord raises up the wind, and the ship is lifted up on the waves, only to come crashing down. And the soul of everyone inside is melting in misery. And they were, in verse 27 says, the New American Standard, they were at wit's end. The word wit is the Hebrew word for wisdom. In order, the word wisdom often denotes a skill or a craft and the point is they have done everything within their means to keep this shield afloat and it doesn't work but they cried to God and God delivered them it was 1993 and I was on my first trip outside the country, going to Russia by plane. And Boyd was there on that plane as well. Uh, Vic McCormick was there. Carl McMurray was there. And we were going over to Russia for a month to preach. And I don't know if you remember this, but uh, as we got closer to Moscow, there was a, a terrible storm. And, and somewhere late in the flight, there was a, a terrible uh, bolt of light. And someone looked around me and said, Boy, that was close. Oh, it wasn't just close. The captain came on in a moment and said, As you could probably tell, Lightning hit our plane a little while back. No, I couldn't tell that. And I didn't know a plane stayed up after it hit my life. But see, you can probably tell that. But this was the ringing words of confidence he uttered. 
I think everything's probably going to be okay. <laughs> if any of you are captains on the ship, exude confidence. Whether or not you believe it, please. Show some confidence for the poor person in the seat. Now, I know for myself and probably the three others traveling with me, I hope a whole lot of others. There's a lot of praying on that plane. And I'm here today to tell the story. 30 years later. Because God heard when we cried out in our distress. And was gracious to us. As a result of that, give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness. And his wonders to the sons of men. Every safe journey we have. Whether it is one mile. Or whether it is thousands. Is a result of his goodness. It's a result of his kindness. Every time you've been lost and found your way home, every time you were hungry and thirsty and He satisfied your soul, every time you had gotten yourselves into problems by your own foolishness and He delivered you, all of these things, every time we had a safe journey, it is a gift of God's grace. And all of these and a thousand other things that we can scarcely even relate. There's so many of them. Our cause is for us to give thanks to the Lord. For He is good. For His loving kindness is everlasting. (laughs) But you know what we want to give thanks for most of all? Is Christ. And we don't need to let that be. Just something that we kind of say without reflecting on it. I'm not, that's not an accusation when I say that. It's an acknowledgement though that it's very easy for me to sometimes say we thank you for Christ. And though we'll never understand the full depths of it. Never understand all the depths of it. It truly should come from the bottom of our heart, in the depth of our being. One preacher said something in a sermon I heard many years ago that stuck with me. He preached a sermon on hell. And then as he came to some final conclusions, he said, I want to tell you one of the things this sermon should do. This sermon should make us Thankful for Jesus. For without Him, the whole purpose of life would be to extend life to the latest possible moment so that we would be in hell a little less. What I'm saying, too, is that all of these things in this chapter are in a sense a foreshadowing of what God has done for us in Christ. After all, one of the ways that we're spoken of is, is to be lost 
I once was lost, but now I'm found. We sing, and it's a biblical idea. It, it, sometimes we're described as being hungry and thirsty. Remember how Jesus said to the woman, the Samaritan well, in John 4. He speak to her and said, give me a drink. She was surprised that he, a Jew, asked her, a Samaritan woman, for a drink. He said, if you would know the gift of God and who it is who asked you, you would ask him. And he would give you living water. She says, sir, are you greater than our father Jacob who built this well? You don't have anything with you to draw with. And, and Jesus says, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never thirst. Jesus satisfies our deepest thirst and our deepest hunger. In John 6, in verse 35, I am the bread of life. He who believes in me will not hunger. And he who, uh, he who follows me will not thirst. Jesus satisfies our deepest need. And as we wander around lost, hungry, and thirsty, that is a picture of a need that Jesus satisfies. People who are in prison, people who are in prison and who have broken free. That is a picture, or or they are granted freedom. That is a picture of what God has done for us in Christ. Listen to Luke 4, verses 18 and 19. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because He's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are downtrodden, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. Those who have been imprisoned, by sin are set free by Jesus Christ. I, you may not have been in prison, but I'll tell yourself, you've got yourself into problems by your own mistakes, and sin is a picture of that, and we've got ourselves into a problem that only God can get us out of. It is interesting to me, too, how there are at least three accounts in the book of Acts. A prisoner is being set free. You remember Peter was chained to guards on both sides in Acts 12? And the night before his execution, an angel of the Lord appears in prison, strikes him on the side, he gets up, the chains fall off of his hands. He walks out the door, the door opens automatically, the two guards at the door don't see him. He walks out thinking all of this has been a vision and suddenly he recognizes that this is real. That the Lord has seen him and delivered him. And just as the Lord delivered Peter from that literal prison, he has delivered thousands and millions of sins from the prison of sin, from the prison of wickedness, which we have been trapped in. It's a picture of the salvation that Jesus brings. A person who's sick and at the point of death Remember the centurion who came to Jesus in Luke 7, in verses 1 through 10, and, and he begs that he said his servant is at the point of death, come and heal him. I'm not worthy for you to come into my house, but I know you can simply say the word and my servant will be healed. Jesus said, I've not found faith like this in the land of Israel. And when he goes home, this man who was on his deathbed, he's better. And Jesus' ability... To raise up the sick from their deathbed is a picture of his ability to save us from sin. 
And you remember Acts 27. In Acts 27, which is easy to think of in connection with Psalm 103, verses 23 through 32. You remember that Paul and those who were traveling with him, like Luke and Aristarchus, were on board this ship and they were blown off course. And all hope that we were being saved was gradually abandoned. But in the midst of this situation, the angel of the Lord stands by Paul and says, I have given you all those that sail with you. Paul stands up and shares this with the crowd. He says, I believe God that it will turn out exactly as you have shown me. And I think if you read that chapter and you see the word saved intermingled throughout that chapter... Except these abide in the ship, they cannot be saved. Acts seven, Acts twenty-seven, thirty-one. He said we're saved all through the text. The picture of God delivering them from a storm is a picture of God delivering us from a greater storm and a greater shipwreck of sin and death. We can never adequately thank God for Christ. God not only saved us when we could not save ourselves. God not only rescued us when we had gotten ourselves into the problem. But God did it. At outrageous cost to himself. Indeed, he is good. And his loving kindness is everlasting. And we will reap the benefits of it for an eternity. Let us pray. Oh, Lord, our God, we can never adequately thank you for what you've done. For every breath we breathe, every bite we eat, every drink of water that crosses our lips and tongue is a gift from you. Everyone, forgive us for time. That we take our abundant blessings for granted and forget that you are the source of every good thing. Forgive us of those times that we forget. Have mercy on us. Lord, we know that we have gotten ourselves into problems in life time after time after time. And you have rescued us. And the greatest problem we got ourselves into is our own sin and rebellion has alienated us from you. And we thank you for your long-suffering love 
for your loving kindness that refused to give up on us and continue to call us to yourself. May we always stand amazed at your grace. For every safe journey we've taken, for every safe but dangerous street we've walked down, and every trip that we had that was near disaster from which you rescued us, we give you thanks. We give you thanks for our days of good health. We give you thanks for our days of safe journeys where no problems occur because they are gifts from you as well. Lord, may our hearts be overflowing with gratitude to you. Not just at this time of year, but all times. And that we might praise you by thanking you as the source of every good thing. Give you glory and give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen. After closing prayer, we'll have a class from Mark 12, verses 28 and 44. And Lord willing, on Tuesday, we will try to go over Psalm 33. But thank you for being here. And thank you for studying with us. If you're still innocent and you haven't taken advantage of the salvation offered in Jesus, if you believe Jesus died and rose again and want to turn from your sins in repentance, to acknowledge Him and be baptized for remission of sins, we want to help you as we stand and as we sing. Number 156, Christ lives in me. Mm-hmm.